tonight we have uh, we have abhinav uh, with us he has been running this company called perfule which uh, has been in the e-commerce domain and perfule was very recently acquired by amazon in an all cash deal um, abhinav himself has been in the uh, has been uh, working in the finance space and then he made a shift and started his own startup around 5 years back and since then you know i guess the first time was the charm for him uh, and his I, i'm this is this has been a very very successful exit uh, welcome abhinav to the builders club for support hey thanks a lot for having me here good to connect with all of you yeah. abhinav so uh, you know uh, we here at the builders club we you know at e-commerce yeah. is one of those industries which is uh, you know probably a lot of people usually i we've seen the whole boom of the e-commerce industry and the way the whole uh, ecosystem has kind of matured around that currently it's become a kind of an oligopolistic uh, industry uh, we would probably want to you know start out the conversation knowing a little bit about you uh, about your roots where did you start from and your idea you know what was your motivation in starting off uh, Perfume and probably a little bit about. Sure, sure, absolutely. So maybe I'll uh, get started. Uh, so uh, I am I'm Abhinav, born, brought up in Lucknow, lived there for a good amount of my life, then moved to Delhi for my, uh, you can say, uh, later part of schooling, and then went to NIT Suratkal for my engineering. So like a typical. IIT prep sort of a guy who didn't make it to the IIT, uh, but ended up in a decent NIT, uh, NIT Suratkal, uh, and that's when I think the journey really started because before that it was all boilerplate stuff: go to school, get grades, prepare for IIT. I think till then it was just like the same boilerplate life, and I don't think much changes. At least much didn't used to change back at my time. Uh, then at schooling, I think now it's all, although much much different. So once I was in college, or uh, this is what 2011. is when i was in college uh, uh my first year that's when i think the horizon widened a lot uh because of the exposure that you get in a uh in a uh, top tier nit like that because we have a bunch of uh, you can say seniors who are from different domains who are great at like multiple things there are people killing in sports there are people really good at entrepreneurs thankfully nit suratkal has a bunch of very good entrepreneurs like taxi for sure practo uh simply learn and like tons of them so and these guys were also fairly new at that point so they had some alma mater connect and they used to kind of come into college once in a while interact with the new batches and things like that so that's how my journey of entrepreneurship kind of started before that actually i didn't even know that you can really start a company it never occurred to me that that's another thing to do uh, so as and when i heard more and more entrepreneurs did video calls with them was fortunate to meet a few of them learn from their journeys one thing kind of uh, started making an impression on me which was that all of these stories are super relatable And they're not like a Ambani and a Birla and a Adani story. They are they're really relatable. These are a bunch of guys who are just three, four, five, eight years elder to you, and they have just been doing uh, pretty much same things as you have. I think that impression uh, built on me. I think for the first two, three years in college, in the first three years, it built. I did a few experiments in college just to get a hang of entrepreneurship. I think everyone does build some sort of delivery startup, some sort of question paper aggregator startups, and things like that, which are you can say just like product prototypes. They will never really scale, but I think they give you a good sense of what 
uh, the maturity of a product should be, what customer adoption should be, what customer acquisition should be. So it gives you good exposure to all of that. So I think first three years did all of that. And uh, then I think probably in final year, it was pretty clear that at some point in my life, I want to be an entrepreneur. I don't know when that time is and there's no point dictating that. Uh, but I started actively thinking that yes, and by then I had a good job at Goldman and things like that. So life was fairly settled on the other side, which gave me more freedom to think about entrepreneurship as a career. So I kind of started thinking and I think how the journey of entrepreneurship starts is finding co-founders. And that's when I kind of started scouting for co-founders who I can build the company with. And uh, uh, then graduated from college. Uh, I was at Goldman. Uh, they have an interesting program. They send their new hires to New York for six months and... Uh, uh, then I came back to India. So I worked at Goldman for roughly around what 14, 15 months. Out of it, six months were in the uh, uh, the New York office. I think bonded with a lot of people there. Uh, my other colleagues at Goldman, a few of them were from top tier IITs, etc. So my other co-founder, Saket, is from IIT Madras, who I met at uh, uh, Goldman. And my third co-founder is Yogesh, who happens to be my uh, college junior from NIT. So I think all three of us bonded well. We all had that clear perspective in life that we want to be entrepreneurs and, and it's okay what business we build which domain we go all that is secondary but primarily we connected on the opportunity that India uh, offers so I think we started chatting we started debating on multiple opportunities while we still had our jobs so I think things started getting serious as and when we kind of deep dive on, on details because uh, whatever we had learned from the seniors in college is that startups are all about building uh, on niches which have a potential to grow and become very very large so I think we always operated with that lens. Like how can we pick uh, small problems which have a potential to become very, very large over a period of time? So we wanted to start backwards from a very large. Yeah. Is it better? Okay. You can enjoy the rain parallelly. <laughs> Yeah, I'm actually walking around and I have my headphones on, so I didn't like to talk like that. Yeah. yeah. Sure. So, uh, yeah, I was talking about the market, like how we selected retail as an industry because of like three, four primary levers, right? It's a very large market, like probably the second largest market in the country, like India. Employs like 10% of our population, contributes 12% to GDP, and so on. So it was very large and very fascinating. On top of that, it was super legacy. Like uh, the technology adoption in retail was significantly lower as compared to uh, banking, manufacturing, and, and, and stuff like that. So I think that gives a good opportunity because all of us were like tech guys, we understood uh, how to build tech products, how to get them adopted, how to scale them. So I think we found the right industry uh, in the form of retail, which was up for experimentation and it was thankfully under threat because this is 2015 2016, right? There was a big threat on the offline retail uh, because Amazon Flipkart was scaling like anything. And there was a big question, what offline retail, like this modern retail stores and kiranas, etc. Would they even survive 10, 20 years later or would they just die down to the massive growth that Amazon and Flipkart of the world are going through? So I think we kind of understood that, look, the future uh, is going to be hybrid. There won't be any clear winner. It would be a combination of offline and online and everyone trying to service customers in different channels and different modes. So with that perspective, we went deeper into the retail store to understand what are their problems. And what can we solve, which is uh, uh, easy to be prioritized and which can be scaled into a larger opportunity over the time. So we kind of deep dive and understood that look, self-checkout looks like an interesting opportunity. 
where customers can use their mobile phones to go into a store, pick up any item from the shelf, uh, scan their barcodes, make their cards. All of this is happening in offline store. Pay for their items digitally and go out of the store. They don't need to go to a billing counter. They don't need to check out queues and so on. That was the first prototype. All the three of us got together, we built it, and that's how the journey of computer really started. Very interesting. Very interesting. So, so this is this is 2015, right? It's 2015. And, and you 2016 actually. Started. 2016 started editing it. 2016 November is when we finally started. So, so basically, your initial idea was to create a kind of a product which can be given to offline retailers uh, for auto billing kind of a kind of a Yeah, that was the first where customers can do their billing themselves. So, so you know how was so when you launched the initial so the zero to one journey of perfume, was it that this product, the, the initial prototype which you started off with, how did the product evolve and what were the challenges which you faced initially? I mean, once you sent it to the to the to the customers, to your clients, what kind of feedback did you get? What kind of uh, what was that process? Sure, good question. I think I would bucket that into two sets of answers. First one is more about zero to one, how do you really get started? And second one is once you have started, once you really like, once you have traction, how do you still get your metrics right? So uh, the first one is, I think, I think both of them have their own challenges, but uh, in, in the first case where you really just want a customer, right? To go like with a top tier retail brand, means you trust a startup which is basically a three people team and kind of allow their customers to uh, zero to one journey is all about passion and, and rigor like how you can really go deep and convince a large retail brand to allow a startup which is like a basically three people team to innovate on their behalf i think it's a trust establishment process and it happens over a period of time it took us three months uh, of time to pitch to 30 40 leading retail brands at least five six times each to land the first customer but the zero to one is much harder than 1 to 10 and 10 to 100 and so on. So I think our first customer was Hypercity. They finally trusted us that yes, let's do a pilot together. You can launch the Perfule app as a self-checkout solution for the Hypercity stores uh, as a pilot. Let's see the adoption, let's see the numbers and then we kind of take it further. So that happened in, I think, November of 2016. We went live with two stores of Hypercity in Bangalore and two in Bombay. And that was pretty much the zero to one journey of Perfule. Okay. okay, and since then the product has kind of uh, has evolved according to the according to the needs of the of the clients and then uh, you know this this whole solution no it has changed massively so yeah i'll come to the second part of the question yeah. it has changed massively and i think that is what uh, startups are all about right nimbleness to understand from customers and innovate on behalf of them so uh, we started the self checkouts in november 2016 we uh, kind of yeah. went to convince them we went to more than far than shop so we kind of landed leading retail brands and by then we were doing like 100 uh, stores pan India, we were doing sales checkouts at, at, at those stores. And it was a pretty nice, humble experience for the customers. Almost around 10-12% of the entire store transactions were happening via sales checkouts. So like 10-12% of the customers coming to the store were not going to the billing counter. And things were scaling, increasing from there and so on. And we, in between, raised our seed round in, in, in March and then continued to scale uh, a bit more after that. But that's when the other leg of the problem comes, right? So when you are a first-time entrepreneur and you don't really know, right, whether you're in the right direction or not. It's when I think connecting with the right entrepreneurs to tell you the right 
things is, is very critical. And I think we wasted a good three, four, five, six months here to understand what's critical. We were scaling. Our month on month GMV was increasing. Our month on month orders were increasing. Month on month transactions were increasing, and so on. But the most critical metric in a business like self checkout, which is a pure play consumer business in an industry like uh, grocery, is retention. It took us three, four months to understand that customer retention is the most critical metric. And probably April or May is the first time we looked at retention. It was horrible. Like customer retention for us month one was like twenty five, thirty percent. Over five, six months was hardly five percent. So we were getting a lot of customers, but we were churning an even more number of customers. So, so it I wasn't mean, becoming a flywheel which would continue to go on to add value. Yeah, uh, a big quick question around here. Uh, yeah. When you define customer, are you defining about the retailer or the person who is checking? The end of customer, basically, because Popul was a more of a B two B two C initiative, right? So in case of self checkout, customer is the end customer who walks into the store, uses the app. So, so what you're saying is, people they tried okay, it out and, for the first and you were mentioning people who tried it out for the first time at the checkout, they didn't try it again. Is that what was happening? Yes, right. Massive drop offs first time, second time, third time, and so on. Okay. And I'm sure all of you know that this upward triangular matrix retention chart, which is a really really insightful uh, data point to look at. So they were very bad. Like first one retention of twenty five percent, six months retention of hardly five eight ten percent. Pretty poor. So then it was it was like a shock to us. All other core uh, non-linear output metrics were increasing. Our month-on-month GMV increasing, orders increasing, stores increasing, everything going up. But the most critical metrics doing horrible. That's when we kind of deep dive. We did you can say 500 customer calls. All the whole company just went into a firefighting mode to understand why is retention so bad? Why are customers not using uh, the checkout app again and again? When grocery is like a high retention market, people do grocery purchases at least two to three times a month. When then we are not able to retain customers. We deep dived and we understood a few uh, key takeaways from customers. First one was there was massive inaccuracy of pricing and promotions in the app. Like what it means is, if suppose a milk packet comes into the store, say at 11 a.m. in the morning, and the customer is shopping at say 12, 12 30, or 1, is the chance that that update of items might not have happened in their uh, servers. And if it has not happened in their servers, it won't reflect in our servers as well. So we will have wrong inventory. Similarly, we might have wrong prices. We might have wrong promotions because store is a large. I'm talking about a good sixty thousand square foot store where new items are coming into uh, the store every like hour, and these guys are pretty bad at maintaining their processes. So they just keep items on the shelf without updating them in the systems. And if they don't update them in the systems, it won't reflect accurately in our systems as well. There were a lot of tech inaccuracies because of which experience was bad. Like groceries are is a wafer thin like a ice game, right? So even if I sell a milk product for two rupees higher, first time, second time customers will try it. Because it, it's a nice experience, but beyond a point, they'll be like, "I want accuracy, right? Like, why would I even pay two rupees extra on a packet of milk and, and so on?" So these were the large reasons why uh, customers were dropping off. All of them loved the experience. All of them were pretty happy with the overall uh, app and the flow and all of that. Uh, but this was the inherent reason why they dropped off. So after doing this research, we kind of took this problem and went to all the retailers back and told them, "Look, your systems are pretty inaccurate, and uh, it is kind of creating a big uh, problem for." Uh, customer retention, and it's a legit problem. Like, then when will we keep acquiring customers? Have to retain, right? If we want to build a sustainable experience here. So, to our surprise, it wasn't a shock for the retailers. They actually knew it. They knew that look, our systems are pretty bad, and we have done horrible jobs to integrate and and run any new technology-led experiences. They have done experiments on self-checkout. They have done experiences experiments on e-commerce, intraday delivery, hyper-local delivery, and so on. And all of those experiences, they have kind of 
done a horrible job of properly integrating their systems and accurately sending inventory, catalog, pricing, promotion information in a real-time fashion to any new age cloud-based system. So it was a problem probably they're hearing it for the fifth or the eighth time. So they kind of gave us that feedback that, look, we know this. Uh, and we believe that you guys will do something. If you need more time and sense and resources, good, we'll give you the support, but find a way to solve it. That's when the whole uh, Corpule company went into a rebuilding phase and we kind of spent another two, three months to understand the depth of a new problem because now for self-checkout to scale, we have to make the retailer systems accurate. There is no way. You can put people in the store who will sit and keep updating the prices, but that's not going to scale. At that time, we were doing like 1,000 stores in India. How many people will I put? Right? It will just become uh, highly unsustainable to kind of do that. So we kind of did multiple bunch of experiments and after like three, four months of uh, internal research, brainstorming with multiple people, we concluded that, look, experiences like self-checkout, hyper-local delivery, etc., etc., will not scale unless the core technology platform of the store, which is the billing system, billing system upgrades. And to our surprise, billing system was a 10, 15, 20 years old software. It's an Oracle 2003 version still running in 2016. Yeah. And they were just not meant for cloud-based uh, integrations, which is where the problem was. And after doing the pivot, we understood that, look, this is the right opportunity, right? And thankfully, this opportunity seems to be much bigger than the earlier opportunity we were going for. That's when we pivoted from a B2B2C company to a pure play B2B company. And we said, we'll make uh, retail POS systems for uh, custom, for large format retailers in India, and then take the business globally to Southeast Asia, Middle East, and so on. So this pivot happened somewhere around in April of 2018. Uh, and that's when we kind of went, raised our series around, which closed in October. So we kind of deep dive understood what process, basically the retail billing system in the store do, how do we innovate? So we were able to kind of build a new innovation, which was basically at that point, payment companies like Pine Labs, uh, M-Swipe, EasyTap, et cetera, were upgrading their card swipe machines. You almost have seen there's a machine in which they do their card swipe, right? They were upgrading that machine from the legacy uh, chip-based machine to an Android-based machine. And that's where we got a very good product market fit. What we did was we made a billing system, uh, which is basically a simple Android app, which can run on the card machine. And the benefit of that is every store has a lot of card machines, but every store doesn't have equal number of billing uh, systems because billing system is a full-fledged computer. So now we took that billing technology and we started running on a mobile uh, hardware, which is a significant capex reduction for the retail store and a much better billing experience for the customer. That's where we got a very good product market fit. We did, went back to all the same bunch of customers. In three, four months, all of those four, five customers adopted the solution. Then we kind of started scaling billing system. We kind of went to almost 25, 30 different uh, retailers, almost 2,000 stores in a matter of one year, uh, scaled the mobile cost. That's when these retailers came back to us and said, look, your mobile cost solution is awesome. Why don't you give us a desktop cost solution as well? And we will completely migrate from uh, the older legacy POS to your new cloud-based POS and things like that. So we kind of again went back, always wanted to do that, but now customers were asking us, so uh, raise some more capital, built another uh, solution out, and then kind of gave that, scaled it to almost like, 20 different retailers, 5,000 stores in India. And in December 2019, started taking the solution global. So went to uh, both Indo uh, Southeast Asia with a prime focus in Indonesia and Malaysia and Middle East with a prime focus uh, in, in Dubai, Abu Dhabi, etc. Fed up to offshore teams there, started scaling in those markets. Between December 2019 and March 2020, got like five top tier retailers in those markets. Uh, then COVID happened. So could not acquire any new customers but started serving those 
uh, three, four, five customers in a on and off sort of a uh, way because like international business needs a lot of interactions. And three months was too small to kind of deeper make those interactions deep. So not all five of them retained. Three of them retained with us. Uh, two of them uh, halted the project because of COVID, and COVID actually affected offline retail a lot. So this company's growth kind of uh, started slowing down because our revenue basically depends on the revenue growth of the retailers. So if they only don't go grow, they will not have money to invest in technology and innovations and things like that. Yeah. Okay. So that that's that's actually there are two questions here. One, of course, the adoption because yours was a hardcore. You're basically changing the core of their product, right? So once you do that, there is no going back. Right, so and that's the reason why you know the 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 transfer, you know, the, the switching cost of these kind of products is very very high, because it's not just the product. There's a training involved in it, and the whole ecosystem, the whole yep. operations basically flows according to that. Uh, any kind of friction right. you people felt when this onboarding bit was was happening, and were you people able to create some kind of innovations in that bit as well, the onboarding process? Yeah, actually, a lot of innovations and and a huge amount of friction. So basically, every organization, if you look at it, right, I'm talking about the CXOs of any organization, the core leadership, right? There'll be one guy, generally the CEO or some other CEO, who is a very innovation mindset person, and he's fairly senior, so he will take a call that yes, I'm implementing for you. Now the rest of the org, right, because it has come from top down, they have to comply with it, but they're not happy about it because it is creating a lot of disruption in their lives. They have to unnecessarily change pause across. 200 stores. Every store has 10, 15 pauses each. They have to retrain 1,000 cashiers. It's not an easy task. So that's when we kind of worked with them. So we put a L&D learning and development sort of a team, which used to work very closely with uh, these retailers to design innovative WhatsApp-based and, and you can say messaging-based solutions, which are able to train these people uh, in a much faster way. It was still, I think, long way to go. I don't think we mastered that solution, but it kind of did some ease in in doing that. Uh, transformations. We kind of had a large ops team that used to onboard, train, maintain, track. So this was the customer success team of Purple, which used to manage, maintain the quality of solution and deployment in the store. So the one kind of push. The other kind of push we used to get was from IT, because those guys were kind of probably threatened is not the right word, but they were really threatened to some degree because their skill sets weren't upgrading at the pace at which their technology solutions were upgrading. They were actually getting a feel that are we going to get outdated? Are we going to get thrown out? Will Purple take uh, a good chunk of work and automate it? The stuff, the kind of the daily stuff that we kind of do. You'll be surprised to know, right? Large retail chains like uh, I'll probably not name, but retail chains having 600, 800 stores. They don't have an automated system to send the sales file from a uh, like an offshore store to the head office. There's some guy sitting in the local office who kind of takes a dump, uploads it on the HO server, and things like that. So these are very legacy systems, and they were going through a massive uh, automation-led transformation. So there was a lot of threat on them, which is why they were always reluctant to adopt and change, which is why we kind of sat a lot with them to explain them that, look, this is going to help you. This is going to save your time. This is going to make your things easier so that you can focus on larger bunch of things. So a lot of convincing across a lot of retailers happened, which is why the time to adopt was pretty large. Like Our sales cycles used to be like three months, another three, four months to deploy the solution. So time to revenue really used to be seven months, eight months, nine months also at times. The best part of this type of business is retention is really high. We have never lost a single customer in the post business that we run. And that's that's kind of uh, I mean that's logical, right? I mean once you have implemented something with which 
number one of course the switching cost is high number two there is a definite improvement in your overall uh, efficiency uh, very difficult chance that they'll shift and that's the beauty of yeah. these kind of businesses yeah. I, I really uh, you know love the especially if you're really if you are able to crack that model if you're able to crack that right product uh, i don't think there is any way looking down that's 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 a uh, very interesting and th- thanks a lot Abhishek for that. Uh, second and my last question after this we'll open up the floor for questions guys if you have any questions either you can put it down in the events chat or you know be ready um, uh, and we can you know we'll unmute you one by one and you can you can unmute yourself one by one and you can ask the questions directly to Abhinav. Abhinav I basically wanted to talk about the whole uh, pandemic effect which it has had on the e-commerce ecosystem. Uh, and you know, not everything. I mean, I'll not call it e-commerce. Let's let's call it the the commerce, the the whole you know offline and online put together. Because I think for you, from you, I think we'll be able to get you know data from from both 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 sides, you know, insights from both sides. How has it you know uh, how is it how has it affected the whole ecosystem? Because everything you know, we we know that the the whole value chain the whole supply uh, this thing has been disrupted but in what shape and in what manner have you seen the people doing businesses changing uh, in front of you because this definitely has had a massive impact on the way things things work in this industry sure i think that's a great question so uh, let me try to articulate that so a couple of things right i think most critical aspect of covid is to understand that look, COVID didn't affect businesses. Lockdowns did. And there's a difference between the two. So lockdown is is like human controllable. And people know uh, that it is some going to end sometime. COVID may or may not, we don't know. Right? Vaccines may work, may not work. So there are two ways to look at it, and the lens is just very different. So the first three, four months when India was under lockdown, right? Uh, probably March, April, May, June, I think people were getting a bit more comfortable. But those first three months were of chaos. Because no one knew anything. And it's the same which reflects in the public markets as well. They just plummeted uh, like anything on 21st of March and then kind of recovered back in June. So those three months of chaos were not because of COVID, were more because of lockdown. Because the lockdowns were done in a very, very harsh way. And I think by June, July, India learned how to live with COVID, how to manage with COVID and, and so on. Second wave is another story. We'll come to that later. But between June, July till you can say Feb, March of next year. I think life really opened up and the same reflects in the economy, same reflects in multiple aspects and things like that. So a lot of changes which were enforced because of, you can say, lockdown were reversed. A good chunk of changes. But a few of them kind of really sustained and retained. Like one was like uh, e-commerce. And in fact, that happened globally. Like Amazon doubled between March of that year to uh, February of next year. Amazon, like at their size, like an $800 billion company doubling. Yeah, that's crazy. And the same happened uh, at all uh, all different places, uh, wherever e-commerce was there. And we got the same sense from every single retailer uh, that they wanted to go online like anything, like never before. And like they were making plans how in like two, three, four years, like 50% of their business will be e-commerce and, and so on. So I think the adoption definitely became probably 100x, 1000x, I would say, uh, if not more. Which kind of was both good and bad for us. Uh, good in a way because some retailers who actually had the cash flows were kind of upgrading their system at a faster pace because they wanted more reliable systems to go online. Online is all about inventory management, right? If you can't do cloud-based inventory management, you can just never excel uh, in online. So I think we got some goods as well there. But more than that, I think 
retail is still a very slow very old very legacy industry it takes time to change the top 10 percent probably adopted by june july they were clear that look e-commerce is the way forward the others were still confused and they were in the mode of chaos because if you talk about apparel right even in june july apparel revenues were five percent of what they used to be so they were in a panic mode and they were trying to reinvent themselves they were like trying to cut costs everywhere a few of our customers didn't pay us since april till october november and and so on and there's nothing you can do because they were really in, in, in massive stress and even then i would say uh volume wise right like we sold the company to amazon in march right till then uh we were still like less than 50 percent of what we used to do in feb of 2020 so recovery happened for some but recovery was hard because uh the pure play vertical e-commerce platforms scale like anything and the demand is limited right? especially when people okay, have lost okay. jobs ज्यादाबाद backing from peas and and so on were able to do it but majority 60 70% of the market was still affected uh, uh on the revenue side on the overall gmb side on the profit side and so on and how many how much of this change do you see is long term you know once which will sustain any of the changes in terms of either processes or the way they approach businesses uh which is which is long term now which will sustain even after the pandemic is over if it is over so look e-commerce adoption has grown up and e-commerce is becoming more mainstream than ever, ever before and that's true that was anyway going to happen so what e-commerce adoption would ideally have been in 2025 is going to be there in 2022 that's the only thing like e-commerce hasn't changed it has only become fast tracked and even before it was pretty clear that e-commerce only or offline only is not the future which is going to be hybrid for a section like grocery online adoption will be like 20 30 40 percent for apparel will be 50 60 percent for electronics will be 70 percent so it depends on the category and it is going to be hybrid. That whole journey of hybrid has been faster. So there is no real change which is reversible or irreversible. The whole approach and the pace has been faster. That's the only thing. Bucky work from home and all is very subjective. I still don't think work from home is way forward. In fact, all our retail customers, right? They opened long back in July, August, September, they opened. So IT companies and startups and stuff like that, I think we can still manage. We are still working from home. We will work from home for some more time. But these are probably the reversible changes we'll go back to. Uh, normal and it depends on the sensitivity of the business you are in. Retail is a hardcore operations-led business. You can never do work from home in in in, in retail, and it changed in July onwards. July 2020, people started coming back to office. Enforcers PCs are still not open, so I think that's again an industry thing. This is probably the only reversible, non-reversible change. Everything else, it only got fast tracked. There is no change per se which will either sustain or which will not sustain. I have a few questions. I'll come to that later. In the meantime, guys, anyone, anyone, anyone of you who has a question can just unmute themselves and ask the question from here. Yeah, Ram. Hey, Avi. Good hearing from you, man. Uh, very interesting lessons. Uh, I, I'm, I, I'm building Gumstack. Uh, Gumstack is a video commerce-based solution that we are building now. Uh, the interesting question that I have for you is, uh, first thing, the first product that you're building is a behavior-based product. 
and uh, what the challenges will solve not only in terms of uh, custom uh, this one what adoption but also in terms of customer behavior that made you learn that this is not what you want to do at that point of time uh would you reframe the second part of the question i didn't get that fully yeah so when you basically were looking at uh, self checkouts self checkouts mm-hmm. is a behavior part of it there is a yes. consumer behavior involved and uh, what did you learn in terms of that consumer behavior that made you think that uh, doing the pos is a better outcome than doing consumer something that requires a lot more consumer behavior switch okay sure let me take a step back and i don't think it's right to say whether uh, us is a better business than self checkout i don't think that's what i meant what i meant was what is doable at a given point in time probably i still love self checkout i'm a lot more passionate about self checkout and that's probably a much larger business to be built over the next 10 15 years but the basic ingredient to make self checkout successful doesn't exist so you can't graduate to the next level unless your ground uh, uh, is sorted right you can't get a btech degree unless you have done schooling that sort of a thing is, is the point i'm trying to make so once you go deep in an industry and you understand that uh, what you're offering is a great product but it is not scalable so you will have to bite the bullet like your business is very sexy but it is not scalable because the ground is not covered so i'm still more passionate about self checkout but reality checks is that we have to go and build a uh, bos great uh, a, a follow up question to that one of the uh, first things that you said was to basically go uh, go for one of the large retailers right and and you said making a large retailer believe that uh, there is going to be a three people team which is going to execute and make them successful is very very tough that's an amazing point but the question comes back to the fact that you know uh, especially india as a place muft mein the everything is free uh-huh. until yeah. you you make it happen right uh, how did you sustain yourself how did what what were your learnings during this process mm, good question very good question probably uh uh very a question which is very close to my heart because i think this is where uh like zero to one is basically less of a test of your product capability or sales capability all that is secondary but zero to one is a question of character and persistence and these two you have to get right and i think these are the basic ingredients that make an entrepreneur entrepreneur being successful or not successful depends on 100 other things but to even become an uh, uh, an entrepreneur it's a test of character and persistence and that is what uh, zero to one early customer adoption large clients It, it's all about that like you have to be really persistent nobody is going to listen to you uh, because you don't have a brand because you don't have credibility but what you have to understand is you can build credibility it takes time it takes only a few weeks or a few months it doesn't take 10 years so if you are persistent and if you are listening to your customer and if you are able to convince them over a period of time uh, you will get the customer the odds and the probabilities are pretty much stacked up and there is enough uh, you can see knowledge in the uh, ecosystem to already say that the conversion rates are finite they will be 5 to 8% 10% over a period of 3 to 6 months in a certain industry in a certain vertical for a uh, particular ticket size of revenue that you are selling so these are standards which are established you can be 10% down 20% up and, and and so on but these standards exist and you will comply with them the only question is can you be persistent enough for these cycles to complete because i think it takes a lot of time our first sales to probably 8 9 months do you have the patience to consistently keep doing and keep convincing your customer for a period of 8 9 months that's the test of character and persistence chubby cool thanks a lot ram for that question anybody else has a question i have a few i'll go 
but anybody else has a question anudeep you are working on a on something very similar to the ecosystem and the client base which abhinav has would you want to ask a question want to know how the the how much time did they take in building a solution especially when it was an enterprise solution uh, where there was a pivot internally so how much of a technical debt had to be had to be recuperated to plan the next one the b2b from being a b2b to c so how much of a time you take in the building the first version and then doing the pivot and what that you had that i really wish these were the things that i did especially when i'm interacting with uh, uh an enterprise which could possibly have these inherent limitations what are those problems that you could have uh, realized much sooner sure i think that's a great question and just listening at that question i think you might be the cto or equivalent of that company because that's a quite nice tech question so i think i'll break your question into two parts uh one is on the tech debt side how much time did it take us to pivot and stuff like that so uh, there's a fact okay in all early stage startups your product and sales will always grow much much faster than your tech so there will always be technical debt if your company doesn't have technical debt it basically means you're not growing that is all what it principally means so however large like whether you talk about perpule which is like a 100 120 people company or you talk about misho which is like a 2000 people company or you talk about ola which is like a 10000 people company all of these companies have crazy amount of tech debt it will just be there because if you're growing if you're thriving product and sales will grow much much faster than tech that's how it works so tech debt will always be there on top of tech debt when you have to pivot it's a much uh, bigger nightmare for the core tech teams because you are changing the fundamentals on which you uh build the tech so these are challenges which will exist which is what i mean there's no solution to this it's a problem that early stage companies have to live with there's no solution to this the solution to optimize uh, uh this is hiring really really nice people thankfully our tech team was a bunch of really smart people led by saket who's himself a very smart uh, individual who could handle the stress right like we'll go and tell them that just do like a open heart surgery of the product and we want it done in like 10 days and they will do some magic and pull it off they'll not do it uh, accurately there'll be bugs even in the final version but that is something that uh, you have to live with uh, and i think it's a trade off like the lesser changes you make the better quality of product would be so i think you have to manage that trade off at different points in life when you are really fighting for a pivot go live i think you can afford some glitches but once you are in a steady state you can't afford to have glitches so i think either trade off that uh, 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 if your team is mature enough to understand they will uh, do it the right way but the fundamental is only two things hire a bunch of really really nice people who can handle that level of challenge and stress and still do the right thing and not have a uh, basically don't give up sort of attitude is what is necessary there and second is take risk i mean don't wait for the uh, product to uh, kind of be perfect i think read often has a very beautiful quote for it right if you're if you're not embarrassed of your first version of the product you have launched it too late i think that's a lot more and significant for every startup so i think all of us have been embarrassed of the first version of the first product that we gave to our first client but that's absolutely fine because you're building something new so your you can say sexiness uh, is not as critical as your uh, you can say usage and the uh, fundamentals are so even if it's not packaged in the best possible way even if it has, has a few bugs i think it's absolutely fine to go ahead and launch and learn so that you can 
uh, apply the learnings faster and innovate and do the right things. That right. was the first part. Second part, what I could have done better, I think there is always a, a laundry list of things you can do. But I think I have a very interesting story, which is very significant uh, to companies building enterprise products, right? Because like I said, so when we were launching customers, we were still like a 40, 50 people team. And we were building for Big Bazaar, which is what a 10, 15,000 crore business, like probably 25,000, 30,000 people work there. So the, you're, you're basically insignificant in front of your client. And that happens more often than not. There's a lot of SaaS companies building for Salesforce, building for Shopify, building for Amazon and so on. We're insignificant in front of them. So what can happen in these cases is that these large companies can arm twist you. And the outcome of that is you end up over customizing. So that happened for us. We over customized the solution a lot for Big Bazaar. And we spent a lot of time, probably eight, nine months. The whole team was just building Big Bazaar. And we realized that whatever we have built, is not replicable for new customers. Our ideal go live for a customer is like three months. And in that three months also, whatever we customize, we reuse for every customer. So we invested eight, nine months into one customer, built something which is not even reusable to a new customer. I think that was something uh, uh, which could have been avoided. Eight, nine months of time for a startup is a lot. Like it is probably 10% of a lifetime of early stage startup. We wasted 10% of the, of the lifetime. Thankfully, we had the cash to afford that loss. But it can be game-changing and life-threatening for uh, other startups. So having a product mindset, really understanding how reuse works. Because all SaaS companies, all tech companies work on reuse. How can you do one thing once and get it used hundreds and thousands of times? So bet, uh, understanding that early on and not getting arm twisted, even if your customers are very big, is what I would do better the next time. Got it. Got it. Um, so was there... This seems like a classic case of a lean startup, right? Where understanding what exactly could be the latest unit that needs to be built, possibly to prove just enough to um, to validate the whole concept. So, um, what exactly would you have done differently? Um, not not more on the not more on like let's let's launch it and let's see it. But what could have been more of a management technique or a stakeholder management specifically with these enterprises that could possibly give you an early buy-in or an early sense of this is the closest lattice unit that I could possibly bring or build that could validate this and possibly reduce your eight to nine months uh, roadmap that you or rather time that you use to build the product to say something of a shorter time frame what is it from a business that that or a stakeholder management that you could have that you can think of that you could have possibly done that could have reduced that all of that time can you think of anything oh yeah a couple of things i think two three things on top of my mind one is uh maybe solution i'll come to later why we did that was because we were threatened okay so we were running out of cash the runway in the company was very less we were about to raise a new round for new round we wanted some growth, some metrics, some proof of concept, some revenue, some traction, some stores to show. So we were threatened, which is why we could not go to our customer and look them in the eye and say, look, we are not going to over-customize. Our backs were against the wall. That is the reason why we did it. But a classic solution to this is like having a more focused product team. At that point, right, when we were raising our series, we were probably 25, 30 people. And we did not have a, a focused product team. Like this is most founders. Did you, did you guys get funding on this? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we were seed funded in March of uh, 2017. We raised our Series A in October. 
and the pivot Got happened it. in between pivot was really happening in june july Got and that's it. exactly the time when we were raising capital so we wanted mm-hmm. some metric something to show which is why our backs were against the wall and this is why we couldn't challenge the customer thankfully which was so big to challenge anyways but a classic mm-hmm. solution to this is org structure and management style basically what i meant was it's very critical to have even if you are a small team and if you are a 10 people team it's critical to define kras so mm-hmm. the more dual roles and uh, like a triple role people do the bigger this problem and the more frequent this problem becomes so having a core focused product team whose care is not sales is what is needed mm-hmm. to understand this whose job is to kind of research and and build repeatable product solutions and force the company to adopt it and not over customize so our sales guys were doing like 30% of the product job which is why this kind of happened we learned from it and then we kind of put a product team together and this never happened again i think that's the core solution that every vertical has own importance you need to have sales you need to have product you need to have tech you need to have legal finance all of these are independent verticals with independent kras and you should not mix them got it this is one right yeah the other ones are uh, i think talking to the other entrepreneurs at that point i didn't do that but later like in a lot of forums right i kind of sat with uh, reserve founders i sat with vidish of freshworks and so on and i learned from that that look this is something which is already solved this is a problem that many people have gone through like i'll maybe quote a reserve pay example here so reserve pay had a had the flipkart founders as angel investors in reserve they had and like large very large uh, angel investors so there was a lot of pressure on the founders of of reserve pay to build the payment gateway for flipkart but they kind of took it to them and understood that flipkart wanted crazy bunch of uh, customizations on the reserve pay platform and if they would have done that it would have slowed them down by a good 10 12 months because at that point they were also a small team probably 15 20 people they mm. took that hard call they bite the bullet to go back to sachin and vinny and say that look we are not building this so i think talking to people gives you that confidence and, and courage uh, uh, to do things like these but these are the things right which these are the hard calls that uh, founders and entrepreneurs need to take that second third one would be uh, i would say not getting emotional about your business and i think that it took me a lot of time probably it took me 2 years to learn that that uh, every metric every customer kind of makes you emotional right and you you are very happy to acquire the largest uh, retailer in india so that happiness is good but it should not bias you you have to look at business in totality and not individuality one customer is only one customer and is not the business so look at business only in the overall top level uh, growth metrics top level whatever your fundamental metrics of your business are don't look at the business in individuality look at the business in totality always and don't get emotional about products customers and things like that interesting interesting thank you man thank you thanks a lot abhinav those are golden words yeah i i absolutely agree in terms of your uh, you know that we should one person one job concept basically works out yeah only then can detailing can actually can actually happen uh valid yeah. point um anybody else has a question this will be the last question after we close off uh, i have one i last that one in case nobody else is going uh durga potter sam shankar okay cool so abhi uh, abhinav i basically wanted to touch upon um the acquisition which happened recently i think uh, for how for 3 5 6 months now that has that it has happened yeah i think 6 and a half months now yeah first of all congratulations to that uh, all of you guys who don't know so perfume was very recently acquired by amazon in an all cash deal so abhinav now if you are also angel investing 
we have we have a lot of startups here who would would probably uh, we would love to have a chat about that. But I basically wanted to understand, you know, how exactly has that experience panned out? Because I think you've seen as a founder, you've seen the whole circle now, uh, and and you know you're one of the lucky ones and one of the very few who have actually done it. Um, how's the how did that conversation begin? What was the logic and how? post-acquisition, what is, what is happening now? Sure, yeah, that's a good question again. And before I answer that, like uh, on the angel investing piece, yes, very, very actively uh, angel investing. So anyone who wants to have a con- conversation, do reach out separately. I have a bunch of angels, we kind of invest together. And today only I got an exit actually. A company that I invested in two years back gave me a six and a half X return today. They are having a larger round uh, and they are clearing all the early stage investors. So it's crazy. Like, Two and a half, six and a half times in two years is like 150% IRR, which is like 10, 15 times of what public markets give. So it's, it's crazy. So uh, coming back to the question. Uh, <laughs> yeah, thanks. Uh, coming back to the acquisition, why we did it. So honestly, we never wanted to sell. Uh, uh, we wanted to build a very, very large uh, business and we were all in, right? We didn't really care about uh, what we make. We didn't care about uh, uh, whether our personal lives are as nice and cozy as they ideally should have been. So we were all in, and thankfully age was on our side. Like when we started Purple, I was 24, I think, and I'm 28 now. So uh, thankfully age was on my uh, side. But I think uh, in these four years of Purple, I learned a lot, probably any ideal corporate job will teach you that much in 15 years, what I learned in, in four. And that's where maturity comes from you. And there's a bias to do what's right. And I think this, this, this is not learned enough. I think probably in four years, I learned a lot. I'll probably keep learning it for another turn, 10 years. But I think that bias for doing what's right is what led us to uh, sell the company because we knew odds are stacked up against us. Retail is anyway a very slow market. The best retail tech company in India is Capillary, which is still like a $400, $500 million company over a period of 11, 12 years. It's a great company, but it's not a hyper growth company. Like Bharat pays $3 billion in two years. So retail is not an industry like that. It's, it's a lot challenging. Then on top of that, if there is a pandemic like COVID, it further uh, makes the odd odds stack up against you. So your growth is going to get massively affected when numbers are in your hand. Like I told you, even in when we sold the company to Amazon in March, our numbers were 50% of Feb 2020. So it's been a year and recovery is only 50%. So your job is going to get 10x, 20x harder. So uh, what's critical for a startup is doing what's right. And what's most critical for a startup is, is growing at a unprecedented pace. Because if you're not growing at an unprecedented pace, you are only letting your customers, your clients, your employees, your investors down. Because this market is not a, uh, you can say, public market growth. If you're growing at 14, 15% annually, nobody cares about you. You have to grow at 200%, 300%, 500% year on year. That's why you are exciting. And every VC has that model. I'm, I'm sure all of you know, right? The, very beautiful venture theory says that for every successful startup, they're happy to compromise eight to 10 companies and, and they don't care about it. So you have to be that one company in a cohort of 10 companies which disproportionately beats the odds and uh, ensures they grow 200, 300% year on year. So if you're not doing that, you will get discarded, you will get obsolete, you will become irrelevant. And that's when exit later would become much, much harder. So there are a lot of FOMO around uh, retail, e-commerce, per fuel, things like that. And I think, thankfully, the other good thing that I've done is build relationships, right? Like since 2018, till you can say March 2021, I would have built 
good relationships with the cop dev of all large companies, whether it be Google, Facebook, Microsoft, WhatsApp, Amazon, etc. And these these guys have like cop dev teams whose agenda is to acquire companies, build solid teams, which they uh, otherwise can't. Right? Like to, for Amazon to build a company or or a team with the DNA of Purple is is impossible, and no corporate can do that. So there are cop dev teams which are sitting out there to do that, and it's always a good idea to kind of chat with them, understand what's in their mind. And if the synergies are actually aligned, why not uh, give a good exit to your investors who have been supporting you all this while? Mm-hmm. And what's what's going on now with Purple after the after the whole acquisition? Uh, are you still? Oh yes. So yeah, I forgot that part. Yeah, no, I'm still working. I'll probably uh, be here for a year or two. Is what I thought. I haven't thought when will I leave, but I'll spend some good time here. Or oh, I think I got lost. Can you guys hear me? Yeah, yeah. So I'll be with Amazon for maybe a couple of years before I move on to the next exit date. I haven't thought as of now. I will maybe later in the year decide that. But a couple of things. Why I'm saying at Amazon, I think it's probably by far the best process-run company on earth, and I think that's something entrepreneurs can learn. I'm not sure if everything will be very readily useful in my next startup, but if you're building a large company, these are prizes that things to learn at the cost of Amazon. So. I'm extremely excited about understanding how large-scale processes are run because Amazon is a process-run company, not a people-run company. So that's uh, a crazy learning to get, and a couple of other learnings from here and uh, future hires for the next startup is is one reason. Second is I want to do what's right. We have a good chunk of customers. We have a good chunk of employees. I want to ensure that all of these guys get adopted into the Amazon ecosystem, Amazon style of doing things properly. Because if I, I and I'm the link, right? I'm the bridge between Amazon and Purple. Have to ensure that everything settles properly. I think it will at least take a year and a half, or maybe two years, to uh, bridge that gap and ensure things are happening in the right way. And uh, the foremost final reason is Amazon's ambition for uh, uh, retail and SMBs in India is very massive. So now I'm leading that whole SMB technology piece. There has been some PR. I'm not sure if you guys have read it, but so I'm leading that whole piece from India for building technology solutions for SMBs. I think it's an interesting opportunity. I will get to learn a lot. And then see what to do next in life. Yeah, I mean this is a beautiful, beautiful opportunity. So I, I, I'm a fan of the way the whole process, the whole uh, ecosystem of Amazon is built, uh, and definitely a lot to learn. Definitely a lot to learn. Uh, though they can be a little bit hardcore <laughs> sometimes, at least. <laughs> oh, big time. Yeah. But all the best to you, Abhinav. Uh, first of all, again, congratulations. uh for the exit and uh, you know uh, godspeed for the future i'm sure that we'll hear more about the next big thing which you which you get which you put your hands into uh and and uh, we also have an a demo day coming up for all the startups which are here in the in the builders club so hopefully we'll we'll invite you there as well and probably you can help pick up a few hidden gems from that ecosystem as well uh so sure absolutely we'll be happy to Thanks a lot again, Abhinav. Thanks a lot, guys, for sticking by. 